both an art and a science, valuations are complex things and their impact is enormous, making the difference between generational wealth creation and a comfortable retirement. At Bizval, we know how tough it is to grow and run a business, which is exactly why we've made valuations simpler. Whether you are using our online tool Bizval Live or reaching out to us for a concierge offering where we spend more time on your numbers and your business and give you detailed feedback, you can be sure that the same techniques being used by professional investors are also being used by us. And with Bizval Bootcamp, we will prepare you for those discussions with investors. Welcome to the Bizval Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Bizval podcast. It's going to be really interesting for anyone who uh, either has a sweet tooth, perhaps, or is interested in the world of retail, building consumer brands, distributing them, exporting them, doing all kinds of things. My guest today is Mark Sack. And uh, Mark, you're going to teach us a little bit, I think, about this world of retail and consumer brands. But of course, the first thing I need to ask you is you are clearly not Sally Williams, but that is the name that is on the nougat. So welcome to the show. And I Thank guess you. that'll be an interesting way uh, to kick this off really is to understand how it came to be uh, that you are proudly wearing the Sally Williams brand and building this business. Right. Thanks guys. So Sally Williams would be my now ex-mother-in-law and I guess a shout out to her because uh, it will be her 80th birthday on this coming Thursday. So I'm not sure when the podcast goes live, but yeah, just hats off to her and and wishing her the best birthday ever. Happy 80th. There we go. Credit to ex-mother-in-law. That does sound like an interesting story, which I've no doubt we will not get into the weeds of. Mm. But uh, perhaps a little bit about, you know, mm. how long have you been in the saddle of, of Sally Williams? You know, do you own the thing entirely now? You know, what is the story in terms of the, the structure of Sally Williams? So, Ghost, yes. Um, I got involved in the business in year two. Sally had started the business in her kitchen, then successfully moved it to her double garage and roped her uh, husband into the business to, he would be manufacturing the, the nougat, she would be on the road selling the nougat, and it reached the point where I think he was getting stung by bees and getting ready to throw in the towel, and uh, I was in the descent of my existing business, which was importing uh, electronics through the parallel market, and hence my love for brands, and perhaps we'll touch on that during the course of the podcast, and they invited me to come get involved in the business and help commercialize, um, at which point this would now be the second year of the business. Um, I bought in 50% then, and subsequently my father-in-law's 25% the year after, and then Sally's 25% two years thereafter that. Mega interesting, and not easy to buy out shareholders in a business that's in its infancy. I can imagine there was no shortage of uh, sleepless nights along the way. Yeah, no, it, it was my second business I've built, and definitely very, very challenging. Mm. No, I can I can fully believe it. Well, well done on keeping the name. I think we can all agree that Sally Williams Nougat is a better name than Mark Sack Nougat. I think you did the right thing there. Well, it was a conscious decision sitting at the kitchen sink with my father-in-law deciding what to name the Nougat or what to name the business. And yeah, we agreed. Sally Williams had a better ring to it. No, definitely, definitely, definitely. And of course, it's all about the brand, right? And that, that maybe brings us nicely to that point, which is in this world of retail, there's this huge push into private label and only the best brands are actually making it work on the shelf the vast majority of brands if they're not really strong the retailers are just pushing them out and for those who don't understand what private label is it basically means the retailer's house brand 
and they've gotten very, very good these days. You know, long gone are the pick and pay no name brand, cheap packaging. You know, it feels cheap and nasty because it is cheap and nasty these days. Private label products in most product categories are actually very good. And the reason is that the same company making the branded product is also making the private label product. A lot of people don't understand this. They've had no choice. The retailers have kind of pushed them into it. But in the world of confectionery, it's actually one of the, I think, very few aisles in the local grocery store that actually brands do extremely well because it's a little bit of a naughty, right? And when you feel like getting those calories, you want to make sure you're getting what you really enjoy. That's my theory anyway. I, I agree with you. In fact, uh, over the years, many times I've been asked, why don't you do a sugar-free nougat? To which my response is, you know, we're a decadent and indulgent brand. M- maybe they should be putting in a calorie-free, but I don't think it has quite the same weight as putting a piece of indulgent and decadent loaded with sugar or chocolate into your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Although diabetics might uh, disagree with you, thinking of my dad, yeah, actually. But, uh, yeah. You know, PepsiCo is a great example, right? The, again, people don't really know this. South Africans, we don't drink Pepsi. We drink Coke, unless you go to Burger King, then you're given no choice, uh, at least the last time I was yeah. there. But PepsiCo also owns big businesses in the snacks aisle. So they own Doritos, for yep. example. And it's a phenomenal mm-hmm. brand. We've looked at it in magic markets. And, you know, it's just so strong. And I think, again, I personally love blue Doritos. I love them. Like if I'm going to go to a braai and I'm going to go and throw what I know is absolute rubbish into my mouth, blue Doritos are going to be my go-to. I'm probably not going to choose the private label chips. So yeah, kudos to building a, a confectionery brand because ultimately I think you're playing in one of the better parts of the the grocery store. Um, does it also lend itself to being able to sell in other channels? Do people ever buy Sally Williams online or is it kind of a grocery store only situation? So we, we liken ourselves to an occasions-based business where we do a big chunk of our revenue in uh, during occasions, Easter, Christmas, with the Muslim Eid that's just gone by, uh, Mother's Day, etc., etc. And uh, these are when we, we have big spikes in sales and when we need to really drive the, the consumption of our product. Not so easy to manage that supply chain, I would think, uh, because it's, it's, it's these peak periods or does the stuff have quite a long shelf life? No, so well, look, it's only taken about 20 years to get the supply chain issues resolved. <laughs> but uh, shelf life, yeah, we're okay. We've got a, a between a year and two year shelf life and we've become relatively good at what we call the infill rate. What is infill rate? Now I want to learn. So because we are primarily a manufacturing concern and a branding and sales unit, what we then do is we outsource the uh, warehousing and the distribution. And we've got to make sure that there's sufficient stock inside the warehouses and in turn delivered to the back doors of the pick and pays, checkers, etc. And we measure every single unit going out against the orders. For example, this morning we had a infill rate of 99%, which uh, I think is pretty damn good. Yeah, that does sound pretty close to perfect. Yeah. I suppose Sally Williams has been a very focused business throughout this journey, right? It's always been the Nougat. That's probably good and bad, I suppose. If everyone wakes up tomorrow and they don't like Nougat anymore, you know, you then have a no-cut business, as perhaps Nougat is known in some parts of South Africa. But of course, going into other categories creates all sort of complexities around supply chain, etc., etc. I must tell you, this morning I was researching Tupperware, which of course is on the verge of going out of business. Uh, it's the next company that we're covering in, in Magic Markets. And, you know, that's just a great example of a company that just never changed. Mm-hmm. But I think they also relied too much on their brand and it's a brand that's easily replaceable, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's literally just a plastic container. Yep. There's not a lot of magic to this. There's, there's just a lot of history, whereas Sally Williams is different. You know, there's a taste, there's all these things. But how do you think about... I suppose the benefits and the risks of being so focused, you know, is that something you're going to carry on with? Absolutely. I think it's all about relevance. It's all about um, keeping the consumer interested and excited. 
and there's always a funnel of, uh, of new product development in the pipeline. We do uh, a lot of chocolate coated product and a lot of chocolate product. We do Turkish Delight, which we've been doing for a number of years. There definitely is um, interest in entering into adjacent categories, but definitely related to the confectionery business. But again, it's all about, uh, once again, from an occasions perspective, remaining relevant and exciting in the consumer. And I think that ability to move into an adjacent category is really important. So when we value companies in Biswell, obviously one of the things we look at, particularly when we do a concierge valuation and we get to dig into the business a bit more is, you know, what has this business done beyond its core? How much optionality is really there in the business model and in the management team? Because a lot of businesses literally do one thing and they've never demonstrated an ability to go past that. So it's good to hear you going into adjacent categories. I think, you know, if I was investing in Sally Williams, that would be something that I would have a big tick in the box for because it just shows, you know, the brand is adaptable. It's not just the Nougat. It's also, it's interesting, actually. I quite like Turkish Delight. So next time I'm at the store, I'm going to have a look for Sally Williams Turkish Delight because I am a, I do have a bit of a soft cool. spot for that. So I think moving on from, from that, one of the things that's interesting with your business is the exporting side. And I think South Africans are really good at doom and gloom and everything's broken and it's all awful. You know, you are here busy building a business that is exporting your products all over the place from what I understand. It would be lovely to understand more of your exporting journey, you know, how that started, how that's worked out, what the challenges have been of manufacturing in South Africa. ESCOM obviously must be top of the list. It would be great to tap into your mind on that. Speaking of ESCOM, you can probably hear the whir and buzz of, of our generator in the background. But I guess that's just one of the, one of the challenges that uh, South African entrepreneurs have come to master. Um, clearly, I create systemic risk, but for me, the systemic risk is really the increase in the cost base. And speaking of exports, what really one wants to control is, is your cost base, because being a RAND-based manufacturer, you want to take advantage of a hard currency sell and a soft currency production cost. So it's all about controlling those costs. Yeah, absolutely, and that is not easy. I mean, imagine over COVID, supply chains were the buzzword, right? Everything's been more expensive in terms of distribution. It's been hectic. You know, was that your experience as well? Absolutely, there were certain items we really had to fight hard to get. Fortunately, our relationships with our suppliers date back to some of them almost since the beginning of the business. And uh, one thing we've proud of ourselves on is prompt payment of our suppliers and and even during COVID, if something was going to go wrong, was just open and free communication to uh, just communicate to said suppliers and customers should anything go wrong, just give them a heads up. Because retailers don't like it when uh, inventory can't be kept on the shelf, right? If their shelves are empty, they are losing money. Correct. I, I mean, retailers are very hard to deal with at the best of times because if the shelves are empty, they're losing money and the shelves are too full. They, In their mind, they're losing money. And if the product's not selling, they're losing money. So you really are on the back foot with many retailers, but it's a necessary evil, I'm afraid. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, direct-to-consumer is relatively limited in this space, right? Because people want to go and buy a basket of goods with one trip. Yep. And that's why retailers exist. They are aggregators. It's not a big purchase like a brand new pair of Nike tennis shoes. Yep. You, know, you can buy that online easily. You're not going to buy your basket of groceries from every different manufacturer. So grocery stores have this lovely aggregator position in the market, and it's never going to go away, I don't think. I agree with you. It's a, it's a costly mm. but, ne but necessary evil, as I say. Yeah, they perform a function, and they generally do a really good job of it. Yeah, they do, generally. I would think that Sally Williams lends itself quite well to this world of online shopping as well. I can imagine adding, you know, if I you know, wanted something sweet, that's an easy thing to add to my Checkers 6060 order, yeah. or whatever the case may be. I think it's the kind of brand that can land into that basket quite easily. Huh? Well, 
again, uh, yes, I guess if you're aggregating your basket, then yes, but I don't think someone's going to go online and buy a box of Sally Williams Nougat and wait two days for delivery. So, you know, again, it's, uh, it's about no. being in the consumer's face, both online and uh, in the bricks and mortar stores. Yeah, exactly. It's that instant gratification. And that's where the retailers are so hard to beat. My best ever Checker 6060 story was I ran out of milk and I thought, oh no. So I went and ordered. I hadn't yet finished my then black coffee when the doorbell ran and my milk arrived. It was wow. outrageous. I wow. just thought, this is, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> so, so maybe I need to take my expectations back in terms of next day delivery. Yeah, no, listen, it's, 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 it's incredible. I don't know if you've played around too much with on-demand grocery, but it's, it's phenomenal. Maybe just going back to the exports, you know, sort of some of the interesting countries that you are exporting to. I mean, do you find that global tastes are in favor of your product? Are there some regions where they just seem to love it? It must be a little bit regional. It's very interesting. So for example, Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, Qatar, etc. absolutely love the product. They definitely have a predilection towards sugar and sugar-based product. Um, some of the interesting countries we've exported to and export to Japan, South Korea. We export to the UK, to the US, to Australia, to France to uh, a number of countries within Africa. So the export model is definitely a very exciting way to go. And there, there definitely is uh, differences in the world in terms of packaging preferences, product size preferences, and even taste preferences. Yeah, it's mega interesting. Does it go, is it air freight? Does it go ex Joburg? No, no, so, no, no. So uh, my philosophy is your first loss is your best loss. So if you're going to send to a new customer and they, uh, they want to trial it out, you probably want to air freight it because either it's going to work or it's not going to work. And if it works, then all shipments thereafter will be sea freight. Everything goes via uh, refrigerator containers. Got it. Yeah, not the easiest supply chain to try and actually manage. So that's leaving from the Durban port. I'm just wondering if you've had any issues with, you know, every listed company I read about, it's Transnet this, Transnet that. Infrastructure is a huge problem, delays at the ports. You know, have you had that kind of experience as well? Massive. Actually, in September last year, we had containers leaving for Costco in the UK. Costco is a big client of ours there. And the containers unfortunately arrived after Christmas when they were destined to be there for Christmas. It affects your run rate, your strike rate, and it doesn't make for, doesn't make for peachy relationships, I'm afraid. Try and explain to an overseas buyer that you've got, uh, you got port strikes or no electricity. Oh, geez, that's hectic. No, I can imagine. Did you manage to yeah. save the relationship? Well, the relationship saved. Um, I guess going forward, we'll, we'll know how well we've saved it. Sure. No, I mean, that's that. Yeah, no, that's that's horrible. The Costco, of course, is famous for the yeah. for the hot dogs in the US. The the cheap hot dogs that get people into the store. Do they do that in the UK as well? Do you get cheap hot dogs in the UK? Uh, I'm not sure if you do. I know in the US. Have you been to a store? Uh, I have, but not in US. But US definitely. I mean, that's pizza, hot dogs, and chicken. <laughs> if you can just get them to add some nougat to those hot dogs, you'll retire very wealthy, Mark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they sell quite a few hot dogs. <laughs> True story. So maybe let's talk about the future. And just scaling the business ambitions for the, very much a household brand. I mean, I think everyone, whether you like Nougat or not, you know the Sally Williams brand. It's just that kind of brand. You know, where do you want to, where do you ultimately want to take this thing? What do you think the future looks like? I think we've got a lot of runway left in South Africa with uh, a number of our international competitors um, clearly struggling uh, with uh, their pricing strategy and supply strategies. It leaves a massive gaping door for us to enter a number of the adjacent categories. I'm very bullish for what we've still got to do in South Africa. Um, clearly, there are going to be challenges ahead. But again, based on this wonderful brand that I think we've built, 
I think there's lots of opportunity for future growth. And still manufacturing in South Africa? Does it make sense to have this as the manufacturing base and export all over the world still? Well, currently it does. I mean, at some point in time, you uh, might want to just shorten the value chain in terms of the costs of getting a product from one market to another. But th that becomes a mathematical exercise closer to the time, I guess, when you're doing volumes in those places. And a tough operational exercise. People forget it's very easy to build the spreadsheet. It is not easy to build the business. That's exceptionally difficult, particularly when you've got custom-built solutions as we do. We, you can't just sort of uplift your machinery from one area and then just take it somewhere else in the world. It's not quite that easy. Yeah. And in a business like this, it's all about operations, right? You've got to have your finger right on the pulse. Um, I mean, you can't Absolutely. taste every piece of nougat that goes out the door, yeah. obviously, yeah. but you know, you've got to be very on top of things. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, again, it comes down to the people. Good people make the business. I've learned the hard way. No, I can believe it. I think most entrepreneurs have a version mm. of that story, mm. which leads me to maybe the last question just for this, this chat, which is, you know, it's the, it's the oldest question in the book, which is advice for people who might be on this journey. And it's so horribly cliche. And yet sometimes there's some really cool answers that come out of it, you know, based on your own experience doing this, all the scars, all the war stories, all the nougat, <laughs> uh, you know, if you can, th if you can think back to advice, you'd either wished you had been given or something you would share with someone who's on a similar journey, mm. you know, what would that look like? I sound like a broken record in my own head because I say this type of stuff so often, but ultimately if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Hard work. I mean, any entrepreneur knows that uh, blood, sweat and tears. Um, people. For me, people, people, people. I've made the mistake too many times over the years of employing people that the business could afford in the hope that they'll deliver beyond what I suspect their abilities or their glass ceilings going to be. And ultimately what lands up happening is they can't. So invest in people that can pull the business up to their level and it makes you look good. And ultimately the business thrives. Mark, that's very interesting advice around, you know, bringing people into the business. And I think the trap that entrepreneurs fall into is they work so hard. And when the business finally starts working and the money starts to actually come in, the kids can go to private school. There's a new car in the garage. Everyone is feeling happier about this risk and this decision. I guess that's the exact moment at which you actually need to start investing in high quality people. And obviously what's hard about that is you kind of take yourself back down to earning, you know, not necessarily a lot of money. And from most of the entrepreneurs I've met, it's, it's a two-decade journey until they're at the point where big dividends are coming in. They're playing golf twice a week. They kind of just need to keep an eye on things. There's a proper management team in place. It takes that long, you know, and there's lots and lots of risk and pain and hardship along the way. That is the reality. So I guess last question is, does that, does that resonate? Does that sound about right to you? You know, that, it's a couple of decades. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot longer than you initially expect. And clearly a lot longer than you initially hope. But as an entrepreneur, one needs to continue to reinvest in the business, in people, in CapEx, in marketing. Um, it, it is. It's a, it's a long game, not a short game. And I guess that's the important thing around, you know, running a business that you actually enjoy running and you feel passionate about because it's going to drive you to breaking point. And it's not going to be a quick exit. You know, ignore the Instagram influencers. That's not real life. It's going to be two decades of your life that is going to be everything you throw yourself into. And you better make sure you enjoy it because if you try and rush the process, you're going to fail. I completely agree with you. I absolutely love what I do. Um, I liken this business to being my child. I get a kick out of it. I love most of my people. The truth is I hate some of them, but I guess that just goes hand in glove with what I do for a living. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let you leave it there, Mark, before you make any uh, business limiting comments that will require some new guy to fix it. But thank you so uh -huh. much for your time on the show. It's been really uh -huh. cool to, to get to know you Pleasure, and to guys. learn a little bit about 
Sally Williams and perhaps just a last comment, you know, the importance of understanding the value of your business. What is that? What is that for you? What do you think that is for entrepreneurs? Why do they need to know the value of what they're actually building? Well, I guess it goes back to if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And ultimately, uh, one needs to understand uh, whether you're growing something with, with value or whether you perhaps should be going to get a job elsewhere. And very often, it's like flogging a dead horse. So if there's value in what you're doing, go for it. If there's not value, go elsewhere. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. Mark, thank you so much for your time. All the best. And uh, perhaps we'll chat again. Pleasure, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look forward. Bye for now.